All right, folks, welcome to Pickaxe and Roll, brought to you by Superbook Sports. I'm your host, Ryan Blackburn, at NBA Blackburn on Twitter. Part of the Mile High Sports Podcast Network, and I am excited to do a Nugget Smorgasbord for this particular episode. I just really wanted to use that word. I came across it when I was reading, and I thought, yeah, this is definitely going in the podcast title because it is such poor SEO that I think a lot of people would click on it. In this podcast, we are going to talk about the Serbia group game, the final game that allowed Serbia to go 5-0 and in their group, setting themselves up for a run through the playoff or the, the bracket in Eurobasket. Should be very interesting to look ahead at that. Next, we're going to talk about under-the-radar nuggets. There's been a lot of nuggets that have been back in town, including Jamal Murray, though I'm saving that conversation for the third segment, where... I'm just going to rant and monologue a little bit about Jamal because I think that there's been a lot of stuff that has kind of gone under the radar in terms of it's it's not respecting him and what he's done for Denver the way that I think he should get the credit. So going to talk about that in those segments. But for now, let's pull up the Serbia game, Serbia versus Finland. That was the final game of the tournament in group play. Uh, for the entire groups. And I just wanted to give Serbia a whole heck of a lot of credit. They put on an absolute show in this tournament so far. It's been fantastic to watch them. 5-0. and They're winning every game by a margin of about 21 points. They've won their plus 105 in five games. They've been incredible. They have done some incredible things and the game against Finland was no exception. This was an absolute decimation. Uh, we got a surprise, actually, though, in this game. Aaron Gordon came to visit in the Czech Republic, which is where this tournament for uh, this bracket is be- or this group is being held. Aaron Gordon came to watch Nikola Jokic in Serbia play. That was really, really cool. He didn't have to do that, but he did. And he deserves a lot of credit for that. Um, I'm sorry. Serbia versus Finland is not I, – I was going back through the other games. They played Poland. I am so sorry. They played Poland, and this was an absolute decimation. They won by 27 points. Nikola Jokic barely played in this one. He played, I think, three quarters, 17 total minutes, 17-41, scored 19 points, 7 of 8 from the field. He had another perfect half and just continues to do his thing. Five rebounds, one assist, three turnovers, one steal, one block. He could have played better, and he was really going 70%. I firmly believe that. Uh, Saw that at the beginning of the game. Both of these teams looked very tired, Serbia and Poland. But fortunately for Serbia, their talent won out in this one, and also their movement and their uh, commitment to their game plan, despite the fact that they were tired. It was very clear that they were tired too because they've been sustaining so many of these injuries. Nemanja Nidovic, no longer in the tournament. He is not going to play for the rest of the Eurobasket, I'm pretty sure. And it's too bad because he was starting in place of Marinkovic, who had also been sitting. Uh, Marinkovic did get into this game, played about five minutes towards the end of it. But it's going to be fascinating to see what Serbia does because they have sustained so many injuries and so many nicks and bruises and 
Milutinov, the backup center for Serbia. He's been in and out of the lineup, and this was actually his first game back. Of course, it didn't look like he had even left. 16 points, 5 of 7 from the field, 6 of 7 from the line, plus 24, plus minus. And he did that all in under 20 minutes. He actually played more than Jokic, and Jokic was fantastic in his own right, but it is a real treat to be able to go from the NBA two-time MVP and then to have your backup center put up basically the same stat line. He was fantastic, and it was great to see him. Ristich had been fine in his minutes. Uh, There were times where Lucic, uh, Vladimir Lucic, was playing a small ball five position. But Milutinov is just fantastic. He's a former San Antonio Spurs first-round pick in, I think, 2019, if I'm not mistaken. And he should come over to the NBA because he's an NBA-caliber big. I have no doubt about that. But it does seem to me like Serbia at this stage, they really haven't been tested to the degree that you would hope. Israel gave them a little bit of a problem in the fourth game. Uh, Jokic really had to put on an excellent performance in that one, and he did. But Israel was really the only team that challenged Serbia in any particular way. I'm not really surprised because Serbia is and should be the favorite, and they got a relatively easy bracket or easy group. But now they go into this bracket play, and they're 5-0, and have not really been tested, as I said. And they're going to go into this group, this round of 16 game against Italy, hoping that they can come together and that Italy doesn't uh, shoot 60% from three and hit like 14 threes in a game. Because that would suck. That would be a terrible way to go out. Serbia is going to have to be really precise. And I think that over the course of this group play, the one thing that I could point to on the defensive end is that the rotations on the three-point line are pretty slow. When they get drives, when the the offense tries to get into the paint, they do a really good job of collapsing on that drive, and there are a lot of hands, there are a lot of passing angles that are disrupted. The ball handler sees a lot of bodies when it comes to Serbia. But when it comes to closing back out, uh, Micic, Marinkovic, Lucic, Lucic is pretty good at the closeout, so Yaramaz and Jokic specifically. Jokic is not a great closeout guy. He likes to close up short and probably will sell out a little bit more in elimination games, but still something to think about. Italy can get hot. France, Turkey, uh, whoever they play, if they do get past Italy, they could get hot too. And there's no doubt in my mind that those teams could give Serbia a run for their money if Serbia isn't precise on the defensive end. They have played good defense otherwise, other than the occasional giving up the wide open three, because their transition defense has been really good, their ability to defend without fouling, or at least defend without committing shooting fouls, has been really good. So I am interested to see what it looks like and whether they can make it all the way. Uh, Just looking ahead to this bracket, like I said, they're going to play Italy in the round of 16. If they advance there, they're going to play Turkey or France. I'm not really sure who the favorite should be. Turkey was second in their bracket, but France was in the group of death. 
in group in group B. And so France hasn't necessarily played great, but either way, Jokic is going to play Rudy Gobert or Alperin Shangun in the second round. Two NBA caliber big, two NBA bigs, like clearly NBA bigs. And then in the next round, if they advance beyond that game, then Slovenia will be waiting for them. Because I have no doubt that Slovenia will advance past Belgium. They'll advance past Ukraine and Poland. Maybe Ukraine could give them some trouble. Uh, but Poland, I was not really impressed with in this last game. They did have a really good center. Pretty impressed with the way that he was shooting. But I would be surprised if Luka Doncic didn't make it all the way there. And at that point, at that point all bets are off. Serbia can be more talented than Slovenia. There's no doubt about that. They are more talented than Slovenia. The problem being is that Slovenia has Luka Doncic, and Luka has shown the ability to go off for 47. That's a lot of points in 40 minutes of regulation time. So I'd be a little bit worried about that if I was rooting for Serbia. And if you get past them, then you're probably playing Greece, and you're probably playing Giannis. Perhaps Germany gets past Greece in the second round of that, uh, the quarterfinals. Maybe Croatia makes a run or Lithuania makes a run and they could get to the finals. But I have to imagine that it's probably going to be Greece on the other end of the bracket because I just can't see Giannis losing in a win or go home situation. So Serbia could potentially face Italy, uh, France. Slovenia, and Greece. That is a really tough road. But in order to be the best, you've got to beat the best. In Serbia, they have a target on their backs because they were perceived as the favorite throughout this one. And Jokic, being the two-time MVP, he's perceived as, if not the best player, then one of the best players. So you're going to have to really commit. You're going to have to really do a lot of work here. And I do think that Serbia is going to make it all the way. I do think that they're going to win the title or win the championship game. But it's going to be hard. And you're going to have to see some massive Jokic performances. Maybe Micic goes off for 25 points at some point. Uh, You're going to need clutch baskets from Yarmaz and Kalinic and Lucic at various times. Maybe Milutinov comes off the bench and gives Serbia 15 points in an efficient manner because teams will attack Jokic. And if he gets into foul trouble, then Serbia's going to have to find a way to survive. But hopefully that doesn't happen. Hopefully Jokic just continues to dominate. I see no reason why he can't, even if he goes against France or Turkey, where you've got NBA caliber bigs, or if he's being put on an island against Luka. He's going to do bad things to Mike Toby in that Slovenia game, if that does come around. It should be really fun. This is a really great environment, and next week is going to be very, very interesting. Serbia versus Italy is on Sunday during football day, so it's going to be tough to watch both of those games, but I will be trying to track it, as I also track my fantasy football team during that time. Uh, But Serbia will take precedence for sure. Let's take a break. When we come back, we are going to discuss the under the radar nuggets for this upcoming season. We'll be right back. But first, 
Everybody, football is back. We just had the season debut featuring the Bills and the Rams on Thursday night. A lot of fun. I watched that game at a bar with my brother, and we had a really, really good time watching the Bills just decimate the LA Rams. But folks, as excited as everybody is about football, nobody is more excited than your friends at Superbook Sports. Superbook is bringing Vegas-style wagering to the palm of your hands, and now they'll match 100% of your first bet up to $1,000, no matter if the bet wins or loses. You don't have to be at the stadium to enjoy football this fall. Just visit Superbook.com or download the Superbook Colorado app right now and start getting it on all of the action. Visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions. Gambling problem call 1-800-522-4700. and all Ryan Blackburn here. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. Appreciate all the support on the program. As always, it would go a long way if you rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts. Five stars would be great. Love seeing those come in. They help spread the program, and they let me know that I'm doing a good job. So if you feel like supporting the program, then that would be fantastic. All right. Under the radar nuggets for this season, I decided to go through the seven players that are projected to be outside of the rotation right now, because I think there are some interesting names here. There are some interesting names that I think Nuggets fans are going to need to know. They're going to need to be very familiar with about their minutes, about their role, about what it's going to look like. And there, I could see at least five of these guys playing significant minutes, depending on the situation. And it's going to take some injuries, don't get me wrong. But I could see some of these guys swinging regular season, if not playoff games for Denver. And the Nuggets are going to have to be very familiar with that. They're going to have to be ready for that. Let's talk about DeAndre Jordan first. Uh, DeAndre Jordan has had a rough go about it over the course of the last four years. Kind of been the butt of a lot of jokes, given the way that his career has gone. He was with uh, after the Clippers, where he spent most of his career. He spent time with the Mavericks. He went to uh, the Brooklyn Nets and spent about a year and a half there. And then went to the Lakers and then went to the Sixers. Not a great run for him in terms of his overall effectiveness. Not a great run for him in terms of uh, his fan appreciation, where a lot of fans, I think, of those teams were very upset about DeAndre Jordan, very upset about the effort that he was giving in those situations. But he continues to get jobs, and the reason why he gets those jobs is because he's a great locker room presence. And for the Nuggets, a team that has championship aspirations – it pays to have a really good veteran, especially when a lot of the other guys off the bench, sure, you've got Ish Smith, but Christian Brown is a rookie. Vlako Chanchar is a veteran, but hasn't really played that much. Jack White's a rookie. Peyton Watson's a rookie. Colin Gillespie's a rookie. Everybody that is currently outside of the rotation is either an older vet 
in Jordan and Ishsmith, a kind of middling vet in Vlatko, or a rookie. So Denver at this point, they are going to need a lot of layers to their bench. And one of those layers is going to be the traditional backup big. DeAndre Jordan serves that purpose. Whenever the Nuggets need to go to a traditional backup big, DeAndre Jordan can do that. I don't think they're going to need that for much of the season. I don't think that there are going to be a whole bunch of situations where DeAndre Jordan is the answer. But there will be some, and there will be times where a player like Zeke Naji or Jeff Green, if he's technically playing the five, where those guys are too small for the situation. DeAndre Jordan is not too small in those situations. And the two things that he does well, or at least the two things that he does best, are things that those guys can't do. The first is to play drop coverage. Drop coverage, very important in the NBA, especially in the regular season. You need a player who's going to take away the rim and who's going to get rebounds under the rim. Going to be a little bit of a rim deterrent. DeAndre Jordan isn't necessarily somebody that opposing teams fear challenging, but he does force or at least allow more five to 10 foot shots than he does zero to five foot shots when he's out there on the court. That's his job. He's trying to make it five to 10% harder. And though it hasn't worked in some situations, perhaps it works a little bit better in Denver. We're going to have to wait and see on that. But the other thing he does well is set screens. He's going to be a good screen and roll partner for Bones Highland. Bones is going to run off of DHOs. He's going to run off of screens. And the one thing that DeAndre Jordan really does well is he when he gets the ball around the rim, he's going to finish and he's going to do a good job kind of spacing down the middle of the floor. That'll create some lanes for Bones in ways that I don't think that Jeff Green and Zeke Naji are going to be able to do. Now, DeAndre isn't a lob threat anymore, not the way he was in his prime, but I do expect Denver to go to this at some points. I haven't projected a bunch of minutes for him, but it would not surprise me if he plays more than people expect. Now, whether that's 40 games and averaging about 10 minutes a night, and then you're playing 400 minutes, Or if he has to replace Nikola Jokic in the starting lineup at times, and then Denver kind of centers everything around a traditional center with their starting unit, and then Murray and Porter just kind of take on a larger offensive role. Jordan can do some of those things. Whenever Jokic went out last year, Denver really struggled. Hopefully Jordan can help mitigate that. Next is Christian Brown, who... Going under the radar, he's not necessarily under the radar because he was Denver's leading first-round pick, but unlike Bones Highland last year, I don't think a lot of people expect Christian Brown to really push for a bunch of playing time. It's a possibility that he does. It's definitely a possibility that Christian Brown plays over a 1,000 minutes this year. I don't have him projected for that much. I have him projected for closer to 650. But Bones Highland last year played 1,300, and he was an impactful piece. By the end of the season, he was a guaranteed playoff player because the Nuggets needed him to be. 
I don't think they're going to need Christian Brown, but it's possible that if his shooting comes around, and if he can do enough with the ball in his hands, then the Nuggets will be able to take advantage of the fact that he's one of their best perimeter defenders on the wing. He is really good in that category. I wrote about him earlier this week. Feel pretty good about what he can do as a defender, even when he's a rookie. He's going to do some good things, and the Nuggets are going to need that. Whether they decide to trust that during the regular season enough, I don't know. But there will be opportunities for him to play if Michael Malone so chooses. And I do think that he's a guy that you want to get some reps so that you know whether you can trust him in the playoffs. Because he strikes me as a player that in a playoff series, he only plays on average about 10 minutes a night. But that's because he plays zero minutes in a couple games and then 20 plus in others where he's got it going, where he plays well at home, he gets up and down the court, causes havoc on the defensive end, and creates points for the for his team. That would be a great way to use him, but in order to figure that out, you've got to play him and figure that out. Next is Vlako Chanchar. Playing really well for Slovenia right now. Would be surprised if he was in the rotation still, because I think Jeff Green is going to get that first nod. I do think that Zeke Naji is going to get the permanent status in the rotation. Whether that actually happens or not, I don't know, but I do think that that's what the Nuggets would like to happen, or at least especially the front office would like to have happen. Zeke Naji is one of those great players in theory, but if it doesn't work, perhaps Jeff Green and Vlako Chanchar is the duo that the Nuggets use to play small ball. Perhaps DeAndre Jordan and Vlako Chanchar is the duo that the Nuggets use, where Vlako can still be that traditional four, but he can space the floor a little bit better than Jeff Green, while playing a little bit better all-around offense than somebody like Zeke. Going to be interesting to see how the Nuggets use him. Perhaps he's even playing more at the three which wouldn't surprise me at all. Let's say Davon Reed goes down and Christian Brown proves that he can't do the things that I expect him to do. Then you're going to need some sort of backup three. Flacco, while not necessarily the right player for that, is probably the best or the next best player on Denver's roster to do that. He might actually not be though, because Jack White, kind of hiding in the background here, Jack White isn't bad. I think a lot of Nuggets fans We're hoping for Adonis Arms. We're hoping for somebody a little bit more exciting from the Summer League team to get the two-way contract. They went with Jack White. He was the best player there. And he actually fits reasonably well for what the Nuggets need. They don't necessarily need more 6'4 to 6'6 guys. They needed another 6'8 dude, somebody around Jack White's size. I think Jack White's 6'7" but he has experience at small forward and power forward. And if Michael Porter Jr. were forced to sit out some time, maybe it's Jack White who comes off the bench. And he's the guy who plays a major role in the minutes that the Nuggets need. And he's somebody that Michael Malone can trust because he's been playing professional basketball for a long, long time. A lot of what that's going to come down to is just hitting his outside shots. Because everything else that he does, he's played good defense, he runs the floor pretty well, he passes the ball, he rebounds, 
makes plays. He seems like a guy that would be great as a glue guy. I think that's the role that he's going to try to play for the Nuggets. Maybe he sticks. Maybe he doesn't. Wouldn't surprise me either way. Like I have him projected for, I think, 150 minutes or so. Wouldn't surprise me if he doubled that. Wouldn't surprise me if he tripled that. Just kind of depends on the situation, who else is healthy and what the Nuggets are doing. But if Jack White earns that time, don't be surprised. He could be good. And now you've got the two guys who are three more guys. Ish Smith, very under the radar in terms of what Ish Smith is doing. Ish Smith is going to play. He's not going to play every night because Bones Highland is going to be the primary backup to Jamal Murray. But when Jamal Murray sits out, you better believe that Ish Smith is going to play. They're not sliding Bruce Brown to the backup one. They're going to put Bones Highland as the starter, and they're going to play Ish Smith as the backup. Or at least that's what I would do. I would be shocked if they did something different, unless it's very clear that that configuration hasn't worked. But Ish Smith is a veteran, and he's been around the league for a lot of teams. I think this is like his 12th or 13th team that he's played for. And it makes sense that he finally makes his way to the Nuggets because this is the perfect role for him. He's that third point guard serving as a veteran. Doesn't necessarily play every night, but can certainly help guys like Jamal Murray and Bones Highland in their quest to be better point guards. Because when Ish Smith comes on the floor, you know what you're going to get from him. You're going to get a dynamic, or not dynamic, but an agile, quick pick-and-roll guard who, if you leave open, either off the dribble or kind of in floater range getting to the rim, he's going to make people pay. He also makes good reads with the ball in his hands. And if the Nuggets run good offense, he's going to find the open guy. So I have to imagine that he's a player that is definitely going under the radar right now. But don't be surprised if he wins Denver some games with when he comes into the lineup, generates 12 points and five assists in 17 minutes off the bench. That would be great. That's exactly what Denver needs. Now the other two guys, Peyton Watson and Colin Gillespie. Peyton Watson, definitely not going to play this year. Feel pretty comfortable about that, but he is that kind of guy that Denver is going to stash on their bench or in the G League or somebody that we could be having a drastically different conversation about him next summer league. When he starts looking like the player that the Nuggets believe that he can, or at least if he starts looking like that guy, then perhaps this conversation about backup three that I just had between Davon Reed and Christian Brown, maybe that's all moot because they're going to move Christian Brown to the two because Peyton Watson is going to be their dynamic backup three, who's their lockdown defender on the wing. And that's with Christian Brown there. Peyton Watson has that ceiling. He has that ability to be able to get to that level. It's all about consistency with him, and it's all about learning how to play the game as best as he can, especially on the offensive end. Because if he can get to a place where he just hits his outside shots, things are going to get crazy for him. Do I think that's going to happen? I don't know. But he's definitely under the radar for that reason. And it would not surprise me if we are talking about him drastically differently 
a year from now. And finally, Colin Gillespie. Sustained that broken leg. He's going to be on the pine for a while. Not sure how it's going to look with him and what his role is going to be with Denver, either when he comes back this year or if he doesn't come back at all. We've seen this with Greg Whittington, where he sustained his injury, and then other things kind of came into the picture with that, and Denver decided to let him go. I don't think Colin Gillespie's like that, but I do think that Denver, they want to win a title. They want to do their best to put out the best roster that they can, and that might force them to make some hard choices at some point. However, if Colin Gillespie recovers relatively relatively quickly, then don't be surprised if he's pushing Ish Smith for some of those backup minutes. I would be surprised because I do think that Michael Malone is going to continue to trust Ish Smith. But Colin Gillespie could be one of those guys that's kind of hiding in plain sight. And then next season, when he goes back to Summer League and looks like the best player there, it'll look very, very different. I'm excited for him. Let's take a break. When we come back, we are going to discuss Jamal Murray here real quick. We'll be right back. segment pickaxe and roll thank you so much everybody for tuning in final segment here as i wanted to just give people a a firm reminder at this stage that we have not seen jamal murray since april of 2021 it's been a long time from this point right now it's been what 17 months nearly a year and a half and i do believe that in that time The memories of Murray have definitely decayed a little bit in just how important he was to the ethos and to the identity of who the Nuggets are. Some folks I need, I think, need a reminder. Nikola Jokic is always going to be the MVP. He deserves that title. He's the alpha and omega of everything that the Nuggets do. But the truth of the matter is that the Nuggets have not been close in each of the last two seasons without Murray. There have been some other extenuating circumstances, but the Nuggets have not been competitive without Murray. They've needed that extra punch. They've needed what he provides. He was the player in each of Denver's last two playoff runs that he played that when he stepped up, The Nuggets were on the brink when he stepped up. Excuse me. They were on the brink of death in each of those two rounds, or each of those two years. You have the San Antonio Spurs series where he kind of goes through trial by fire. He's 21 years old at the time, still figuring things out. But it wasn't Paul Millsap. It wasn't Gary Harris. It wasn't those guys. It wasn't Will Barton who was figuring those things out. It was either going to be Jokic and Murray, or it was going to be nobody at all. And Murray stepped up in both rounds. He was very, very good. Inconsistent for sure. 
But those are inconsistencies that you can live with because he's 21 years old. Came back next year at 22 years old, 2019-20, and put up one of the historic performances from the bubble that we've ever seen. That we've ever seen. He was the player that was the emotional heartbeat of that team. Not just the dynamic scorer who put up 50 points, 42 points, and 50 points in three straight games to bring Denver back, but he was the guy that willed them there. It wasn't just with the scoring. It was the defense. It was the playmaking. It was the energy. It was the way that he carried himself. With Jokic, he's struggled at times being the leader of the team, and Murray has never really struggled to take over that mantle. Murray's wanted to be that. Murray's known that he's had to be that. And while Jokic, as I said, is the alpha, is the omega of everything that the Nuggets do, the Nuggets have only ever been feared when Murray's got it going too, and when Murray is by his side and doing crazy shit. One of the reasons that Jokic has developed the way that he has developed, where he's playing with the ball in his hands, where he is creating for others off the dribble, uh, operating at the top of the key, is because Murray has been the perfect player to pair him with as a point guard. Steph Curry is probably the perfect player. Let's be real here. And I'm not trying to say that Jamal Murray is more perfect than Steph Curry. He's not. But that's fine. Because what Murray has done instead is he's created a new connection between those two that rivals just about anybody in terms of their on and off ball chemistry. When Jokic has the ball in his hands, Murray has the perfect blend of on and off skills, on and off ball skills that Jokic needs to be successful because Murray cuts, he moves, he runs DHOs, he screens, and Murray gives up the ball all the time in those situations. Sometimes Nuggets fans hope that he gives up the ball more. I'm here to tell you that Murray gives up the ball a lot. There are so many situations, and Murray was talking about this in 2021, that he's got it going, he's got the mismatch, and he gets a little bit frustrated in a more playful way, not in an actually frustrated way that he's got to give the ball up to Jokic in the post because Jokic has an even bigger mismatch and he's just dominant and unbelievable. What he's doing is crazy. But Murray has been more than willing to seed the spotlight in those situations. He could have gone out after putting up the performance that he did in the bubble and he could have been selfish in those situations. It couldn't be further from the truth. He was trying to be unselfish when integrating Michael Porter. He's trying to be unselfish when sharing the ball, not just with Jokic, but with Barton and with Millsap and trying to get Aaron Gordon involved and doing all the things as a point guard and as a leader that he's supposed to do. There's no doubt in my mind that Murray could have averaged more points per game on a different team than had he been on Denver. I don't think people fully realize what Murray's given up in these situations. 
where he's running off ball, where he's allowing for the offense to flow through somebody else. And as a result, sometimes he doesn't touch the ball in certain situations, and that's fine because Jokic makes such great decisions and creates open shots for others. I have no doubt that when Kentavious Caldwell-Pope brings up the ball, passes it to Jokic, and Murray runs a set where he is the decoy and frees up Aaron Gordon or Michael Porter Jr., that he's going to be perfectly happy with that because the Nuggets are winning games. Because he's wanted that. That's what he wants. He's competitive in that way. And he has his own belief that he can really help the team by scoring with the ball in his hands or playmaking for others. But he also has fit in. And we saw a lot of that in that brief little stint in April of 2021 before he got hurt. He was balling. And right before he went down, about the last 25 games before he went down, he was putting up comparable numbers to the bubble. Something that people didn't think that he had in him. But he did. The biggest reason why he started slow after the bubble was because it started up two months after they finished. So he didn't get any break. He carried so much of a heavy load between him and Jokic that Murray just needed a break at that point. There's a lot of folks that are hoping that Michael Porter Jr. takes that number two spot in the pecking order on this roster. But they believe that with his talent, with his scoring, and with his unstoppable nature at 6'10", that he should be the guy that takes the second most shots. And I'm here to tell you that he can have that role when he's earned it. But not before. Because Jokic trusts Murray. And until Jokic trusts and gives full credence to Porter doing what he needs to do, and gives him full reign, then I just believe in Jokic. And I believe that he trusts Murray and is going to continue to go to those sets because he believes that that offense is the way that the Nuggets should be playing. And I think he's right. It's tough. I know a lot of people, they see the talent. They see how hard Murray works at times just to get off his tough shots. But they don't see the defense in those situations. They don't see how much it's broken the backs of everybody, especially back in the bubble, where the Jazz, that was the beginning of the end for the Jazz. For the Clippers, they're lucky. Like They have not had a successful stretch in any of the last three seasons the, Jazz ha- or the Clippers haven't. They're lucky that they're still together. But if Denver comes back together and Murray is playing the way that he was playing and Porter's playing to the level that he could play and Jokic is still maintaining his level, there's no reason why Denver can't have three all-stars on their team because they're going to win a whole bunch of games. But they're going to do it just as much because of Murray as they are because of Jokic, just as much as Jokic as they are because of Porter. That is the vision for Denver. 
it's not where Jokic is doing everything, anything, everything all at once or whatever the title of the movie is. For the Nuggets to be the best version of themselves, Jokic has to step back a little bit. He's got to play more defense and seed a little bit of the offense to Murray and Porter. I firmly believe that. And he's only going to do that with players that he trusts, with players that deserve it. When Murray comes back as a battle-tested veteran that Jokic has gone through the fire with multiple times, Jokic will seed that control. Murray's earned his respect, and he's earned the respect from everybody involved in the Nuggets organization. When Murray comes back, I can't wait for that first game when he crushes everyone. Jokic has 15 points, and the Nuggets win by 25 against a playoff team because Murray is that dude. It's tough. Because we haven't seen it. We haven't seen it in a long time. And there's a lot of questions that develop from those situations. But again, I firmly believe that when Murray comes back, people are going to be like, oh, wow, this is an all-star. And he's probably going to be there more often and for longer than Porter will be. And the Nuggets have to commit to that. They know that they have to commit to that. And even if the wish is for Porter to take on more of those shots, to take on a larger role in those situations, the truth will bear out that Murray is the guy that needs to do that and will do that. I can't wait. That'll do it for this episode of Pickaxe and Roll, brought to you by Superbook Sports. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. I'll be back on Monday reacting to Serbia's game against Italy uh, in their round of 16. There's going to be a lot of other games that happen over the span of those of that next week or so, so there will be plenty of content there. Should be getting on some other folks during that time as well. Talk about the Nuggets, talk about Serbia, talk about everything in between. Should be a lot of fun. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. We'll talk to you guys next week. Thank you.